Mike, I am totally, totally fine. My wife is totally fine. Our daughter, she looks a little bit green, but it could just be the flu. Can you please let us in? Because if we stay out here, we're definitely going to die. Negative. Negative? We're, just we're, across the yeah, board? Nah, not taking any chance. That's, that's how people always end up getting their group killed. This is How To, and I'm Charles Duhigg. Each week, we talk to listeners who are trying to figure out how to solve one of life's problems, like how to cook the perfect meal or how to stop being anxious all the time. And then we do some research and we track down an expert and get their advice to see if it helps. This week, we want to know how to survive a pandemic. A unique virus never seen before, easily transmitted from person to person, with a demonstrated ability to kill. The Ebola virus is moving south. 90,000 people were diagnosed with measles in just a the first a new kind season. of swine flu over the border in California. The nightmare scenario nobody wanted is now everyone's problem. Pandemics actually occur with some frequency. There, there's been half a dozen of them in the last 50 years alone. Back in 1918, for instance, a new strain of influenza emerged and it killed more than 50 million people around the world in just 18 months. And in a bit, we're going to talk to one of the world's foremost public health experts about how to be ready if a pandemic occurs today. But it's hard to talk about death and disease when most of the people that we bump into every day, they're healthy, they look fine. And so we wanted to get the perspective of a guy who has thought a lot about what to do if a certain kind of virus attacks humanity. My name is Mike Davidson, and I am a metal fabricator. And, And you also do something in your spare time, right? Oh, yes. I am also on the board of directors for Zombie Squad. Zombie Squad is the world's premier non-stationary cadaver suppression task force. And uh, <laughs> we've been around for 15 years now, 16 years. Wow. You're, you're old hands at the, the zombie fighting game. Oh, yeah. We were doing it before anybody else. The Zombie Squad knows zombies aren't real. At least I think they do. But they want to be prepared for anything that might come their way. A a natural disaster, an outbreak of disease. And their thinking is, if you're ready for zombies, you're basically ready for anything. You know, every couple of hundred years, you know, people get worried about pandemics and, uh, you know, disease spreading and, and, you know, how it could come in any form. And and it's, it's definitely something that you can't rule out. And Mike says there's a lot you can learn from zombie movies, mostly what not to do. Generally in movies, people make the wrong decisions all the time and the hero ends up getting bit or, you know, too many people on the team die and you you gotta, you know, kind of jeer at that and be like, you're doing it all wrong. Okay, okay, so walk me through then, like what is the right way to do it? So let's say, let's say you and I, we're sitting at home we're on. We're we're watching TV, and we suddenly hear a radio bulletin that says there might be, there just might be, a zombie apocalypse beginning. What is the first thing that we do? Uh, well, I live in a major metropolitan area, so the first thing I would do if that was actually going down is get the hell away from populated area. Okay. Because uh, more people are in an area, the more zombies there's going to be when all the shit hits the fan. So rule one, so, you're heading to the hills. You're, you're, but he, now here's my question. How do you know when it's time to head to the hills? Because, so, you know, you have to stay vigilant. You have to, you know, kind of read the signs and make sure that 
you know, nothing crazy is happening in your neck of the woods. Nothing's crazy happening uh, in your neck of the woods. I live in New York <laughs> City. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're screwed. So, like, like, where should we go? You have two options uh, generally uh, in a pandemic situation. You either bug in or bug out. So, so you live in St. Louis. What um, uh, what do you have in your house for the the bug in zombie scenario? Oh, we have you know several gallons of fresh water that we you know kind of rotate out every three to six months. Several cases of MREs, uh, lots of ramen noodles, lots of canned food. Um, you know, it's, it's not optimal and, and we've had, you know, like rolling blackouts or, or, you know, things like that, um, in the hottest part of the summer where we had people, you know, stabbing each other over the last bag of ice across the street from our house and thought, okay, this is it. We're, we're going to have to, uh, you know, hunker down here because everybody's electricity was out. Wait, wait, like people literally stabbed each other for ice? Yeah. One, a, a guy got stabbed because he was price gouging ice out of the back of his truck and everybody lost their shit so this brings up my next question which is do you are are you are you armed well yeah st louis uh in missouri is very supportive of of guns and you know our our right as uh residents is you know to uh arm ourselves and protect ourselves but uh it's we're not gun nuts or anything crazy like that so what what kind of weapons do you own oh just shotgun and a couple of pistols so we'll ask our health expert about the guns thing in a minute but but before we do once you have all your supplies and you're hunkered down what kind of rules do you live by like for instance if someone comes up and they they seem like they're infected do we help them uh a lot of people stick their necks out trying to help people that have been bitten okay and <laughs> I've always disagreed with that where they're like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll make them comfortable. And if you're in that kind of scenario and you know somebody's been bitten and they're really sick and they're slowing you down, just, just dump them. Okay. Okay. So, so note to self, do not call Mike if I have been bitten. <laughs> okay. But, but what about, let's say, okay. So let's say you're inside your house and your best friend shows up and he says, mm-hmm. Mike, I am totally, totally fine. My wife is totally fine. Our daughter, she looks a little bit green, but I don't, I don't know if she's been bitten. I mean, she seems a little bit sick, but like, I don't, I don't know what it is. It could just be the flu. Can you please let us in? Because if we stay out here, we're definitely going to die. Negative. Negative? We're, just we're, across the yeah, board? Nah. Yeah, not, not taking any chance. That's, that's how people always end up getting their group killed. You know, they get soft on you know oh well you know it's a kid or oh it's my best friend or whatever you just i mean if you want to survive you have to draw some hard lines there and and unfortunately you know in that situation you just can't food and meds is in some water is the best i can do have you have you told your best friends this like are they aware oh they all know better than to ask Okay, so what about this? What about do you have kids? No, but but you said you're married. You, you said you have a wife. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's say, let's say she comes home. Like you guys have started to bug in. You think that there's some zombie activity going on. You, you're pretty certain. And she says to you, "My honey, I love you so much." And I just I have this little nick. Like a zombie came at me, and he like he hardly even bit me. It was like it was like a little bit of slobber on my arm. 
little cut. I just wiped it off. I'm feeling fine. What do you say to your wife? Well, my wife is also on the board of directors for Zombie Squad, <laughs> and that's how we met. And uh, if she had even a nick, I'm pretty sure she'd take her own arm off before she even uh, talked to me about it. Uh, just to make sure that the infection didn't spread. And then I would help her clean up the stump the best we could. Wow. Did, was that in your marriage vows? Did you guys talk about that? What? <laughs> there, there, there is an implicit agreement there that we are ready and willing to off each other if one of us gets bit before the other, yeah. Did you guys do any like zombie-related things on your first date? Uh, actually, our first date consisted of going to work with the Granite City SWAT team in a uh, mock disaster drill <laughs> at a baseball stadium. So yeah, our our first date was very Zombie Squad esque, I guess you could say. Hopefully, it's clear that all of this is at least a little bit tongue in cheek. But, but even the Centers for Disease Control, the people who think about real pandemics, even they have a zombie preparedness website. If you, if you just Google CDC and zombie, it'll come up. And the reason why is because, just like Mike, the CDC knows that if you're prepared for zombies, you're pretty much prepared for anything else that can come your way. And so when we come back, we'll talk with a scientist who can tell us how to survive a global outbreak of disease. Like a real live scientist and a real-life pandemic. I don't believe in zombies, no. That's after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. This is Dr. Tom Inglesby. And I am the director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, and uh, I work on trying to prevent and respond to pandemics. What, what's your favorite pandemic movie? 
I think the one that's probably relatively close um, to what could happen is the movie Contagion. Don't talk to anyone. Don't touch anyone. Stay away from other people. It's a great movie. I don't agree with everything that happened, but I think that they thought through how a pandemic would appear in the world. You know, kind of would move from animals to people and it would slowly appear in various places. <laughs> it got the role of CDC pretty, <coughs> excuse me, uh, pretty right. <coughs> Sorry, a little. By the way, when you're talking to a guy who travels the world fighting infectious diseases, coughing is not what you want to hear. <coughs> We turn to Dr. Inglesby because he's been interested in this subject for a long time. I think as a kid, I, I thought about epidemics and pandemics and about what kind of systems we had in place in our country. And so it's always been a fascination of mine. One of the reasons I was really interested in talking to you was because um, a couple of years ago, right before um, Hurricane Sandy, I remember being in the car with my wife and they were coming on the radio and they were saying, look, a hurricane's coming. And, and I turned to my wife and I was like, should we? should we drive to New Jersey like, and just go check into a hotel? And both of us were like, no, that's crazy, right? <laughs> like, like we should clearly, they would tell us if we needed to, to flee New York. And it was kind of this moment I've thought about a lot since then, because if something really bad does happen, like how, how do I actually prepare for and survive a pandemic? Yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a great question, fair question. I think some of the signs of seriousness are when healthcare workers get seriously ill or die from a disease. And that's that's something that health authorities in the United States and around the world take very seriously. Dr. Inglesby says that when I hear about a potential pandemic, I should not head for the hills like Mike the zombie hunter, he told me to do. Rather, I should stay where I am, right? Shelter in place. If for no other reason, then it's going to be really hard to know if a pandemic has actually started. It's not going to be a moment where there's no pandemic and then suddenly there's a terrible pandemic and all is lost. I think even early on in big outbreaks, there are many moments of possible intervention and there's going to be a lot of isolating people and a lot of potential quarantine if they can identify individuals who were directly exposed. With infectious diseases, things mount slowly over time. It takes perhaps four days, seven days for someone to get symptoms from the person they were infected by, as opposed to what you might see in zombie movies where someone's bitten and then they're a zombie. That doesn't happen. The illnesses take a while to come on. But Dr. Inglesby does agree with Mike on one thing. You should definitely stock up on some basic necessities in case you need to hunker down for a while. Families should have a few days' supply of water and food in their basements so that they can take care of themselves for a little while and have a plan in case you all are, your family is, if you have older people and they're moving around, have a plan on how you're going to communicate. The problem with pandemics, again, is the time course is different. You know, the pandemic that, that that happened in uh, 1918, which is a long time ago, with influenza, that took, you know, a year and a half to move around the world. So let me ask you about the other thing that um, Mike suggested. Sure. He also said, look, you know, it's a good idea to, um, to have a, a gun on hand. Because when things go down, it's good to have some water, but it's also great to have a shotgun. What do you think? Um, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, I think if we all end up in our homes with guns, then nothing will work. 
we won't be able to get anything to anyone. And you basically would have to kind of imagine scenes of complete lawlessness and, you know, complete breakdown of social order. And my my hope uh, and my my sense of what the science says is that that is not typically how human beings react in emergencies. I mean, there obviously is going to be a wide variety of responses, but I think in general, they're going to be a lot more good responses than bad. So I'd say if we get to that point in a pandemic, things have completely broken down and uh, we have all sorts of worries um, that I that I don't think a gun's going to help with. So you don't need a gun. But what if you look out the window and the pandemic's raging all around you and you see this kid coming down the street and he, he looks like he's infected? Or what if he's at your door? Should you help him? Mike, you might remember, he said, don't be a sucker. I mean, if you want to survive, you have to draw some hard lines. And unfortunately, you know, in that situation, you just can't. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think society is going to completely break down around that and become kind of tribal to the point of families taking care of each other and, you know, fighting off others. Uh, I'm not saying that as somebody who's very obviously very sick should be brought back into your home. What I would say is we should plan to do what we'd hope someone would do for our kids if there were if a kid out there who looks sick calling the ambulance, wearing the right kind of mask and gloves if you can. It'd be a big mistake to not do anything because then that person mm. is going to go around and infect other people. And then right. it grows. And then the risk to your family is higher. So it's yeah. in everyone's interest to try and get sick people cared for and not walking around infecting others. I mean, back in 1918, when we had the pandemic influenza, there I mean, people knew that they were exposed to risk, and we didn't have medicines or vaccines to, t to take care of people, and people were treated for in very large settings. They were taken care of in gymnasia, and there were volunteers who had no medical training who cared for those people at risk themselves. So I think that we would do the best that we could. And that's interesting. When, when During the, the, the influenza epidemic of 1918, which was massive, right? They, yeah. at, at one point... There were like a million people a day dying around the globe. The overall numbers uh, are said to be between 50 and 100 million globally. But it happened over a period of uh, 18 months. Right. You remember, the other thing is, if this disease sickens a third of us or half of us, um, and 1% of those people die, which would be a tragedy, um, something along the line, or 2%, like 1918, the other people who recover, they're immune. Yeah. They're ready. They can help people at that point. So even during a pandemic, we should still help people. And the truth is, we're going to know how to do that, right? Because there's going to be lots of advice on TV and the Internet about what to do, who you should call if someone looks sick. And society will continue. In fact, society has to continue. We're still going to need truck drivers to continue delivering food and cashiers inside grocery stores. Things will change. Maybe you'll wear a mask on your way to your job. But if everything changes overnight, a pandemic is actually going to be just one in a long list of problems you have to deal with. But that does bring up this final question. How do we think about things in the long term? 
I went back to Mike Davidson from the Zombie Squad to ask him, like, what's your long-term plan? Like, no matter how well you stock, you know, for a bug-in situation, it's it's temporary. It's a couple months at best. You're going to need to be able to replenish your supplies somehow. And being, again, in a metropolitan area is just a bad idea. If it is an actual zombie apocalypse, you need to figure out how to get the f*** out. That's the biggest thing. You have to get to a place where you can sustain life. But where would you go? Like, like let's say, let's say the zombie apocalypse starts tomorrow. You've thought about this a lot. Yeah. Where, where are you going to go? I cannot disclose that information, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a place, though. <laughs> you can't disclose it because you're worried the zombies might hear. <laughs> no, I'm worried that people listening to your show might hear. <laughs> but it is uh, a very uh, desolate place that is cut off by water at least on one side and then a mountain on the other side. And, uh, you know, I've been camping out there with a lot of members of Zombie Squad for the last six or seven years. And uh, we know how to make that land work. We ran this one past Dr. Inglesby. Um, I mean, pandemics are going to move around. They're going to move around the country. They're going to move around the world. That's the, the whole definition of a pandemic. Every year, a third of the world gets sick from influenza. Fortunately, it's a relatively mild illness, but that goes to all the corners of the country. It doesn't stay just in the city and then spare a rural location or a farm. And I don't think it's possible for almost anyone to stay entirely isolated for a year or 18 months. They need to be part of society to make it. So you might be noticing a pattern here. If a pandemic were to occur, it would be nothing like how zombie invasions are depicted on TV or in the movies. It would actually be scarier in a lot of ways. And and we know that because the government runs these simulations from time to time. Last year, Dr. Inglesby, he helped organize a simulation of a global pandemic crisis for a bunch of current and former government officials so they could try and sort of game out how they would handle it. It didn't go well. And so... What that exercise did was, over a series of mock National Security Council meetings, they were presented a a number of very difficult dilemmas and had to think through them together and make decisions about how they would respond. So, for example, the discovery of cases of this new virus for which we have no vaccine uh, and which is killing people, um, we've discovered that virus in Germany and Venezuela in the story. And um, what is the proper response? Should the United States close travel and trade to those two countries to try and prevent the spread of disease into the country? And on the one hand, um, polling in past outbreaks in the United States shows that the American public strongly supports closing borders to try and prevent disease from getting in. On the other hand, we know from science and public health that closing borders never, ever has worked. And the consequence of closing a border is that you interrupt the movement of scientists and people who can try and help. And if you do take that action and then the United States gets a case, do you then risk the rest of the world saying, we will now shut you out of moving your people and goods around the world? It's a cascade, it's like a domino effect. And what's the right answer for the Germany Venezuela? I think question? the right answer is that we can do sensible screening at airports. We can isolate people early. 
We can crash on vaccine development, although it's still going to take us probably years. Um, but we shouldn't take what we think is kind of the politically instinctively the right move without understanding that public health and science shows that it's never helped before and it could really hurt us. So I asked Dr. Inglesby, if so many of our first instincts are wrong, then what should we be doing? For people who are listening to the show, if they have a concern about a pandemic in the future and what would they do and will they be able to get vaccine and medicine, I think a call to their legislators to say, hey, I'm tracking this issue. I, I pay attention to this. I want you to support medicine and vaccine development and science around infectious disease to make sure we don't deal with this. That's a good thing. And I think, you know, people, I think, sometimes despair and say, what is my voice going to do in a world that's, you know, so chaotic and you know, politics is so broken? I do think that relatively small numbers of people calling a legislator's office makes a difference. Which is funny because that scene doesn't really happen in a lot of zombie movies. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, in addition to taking care of, you know, having water and food in the basement and phone numbers and some cash, the other thing I would do is I would say uh, in your own community, typically uh, there is some kind of volunteer organizing structure in most cities and communities where people, uh, some group of people care about emergency preparedness. Huh. Sounds a little bit like a squad of zombie fighters, I know. There's actually a lot of good practical knowledge you could learn uh, via our website or, uh, you know, find your local chapter and, and go to a meeting and see what it's all about. Yeah. Do you, um, do you vote? Like, are you politically active? Yes, I do vote. Okay. Have you, have you ever contacted your representative in Congress to ask for more funding for, like, the next pandemic? No, I have not personally. You know, it's interesting because you've talked about sort of self-reliance and individualism, which makes sense. Like, I tend to think of like a zombie apocalypse as like something where it's like the, you know, man versus the world. But I think that one of the things that comes through when from these experts is like, that's actually the wrong way to think about it. The right way is to think about it as like collectivism. That the way that historically sort of civilization has thrived, whether it's a zombie apocalypse or like, people fighting over ice that like what ends up making the difference isn't what individuals do it's it's what it's what the group does absolutely i 100% agree with that um in any scenario where you see a lone wolf character uh, they always end up not surviving because they don't have anybody to rely on yeah um and there's like kind of a I guess a, a fine line between being completely self-reliant and surrounding yourself with other self-reliant people uh, to have a strong community of people that can actually do some good and help others. What, what, let me ask you this, though, because th that's a little bit at odds with, like, the philosophy that, like, if your best friend shows up with his daughter, who might might be a zombie or might not, that you don't let them through the hey, door. I said I'd give them some food and water. That's true. What do you that's, want? true. that's true. It's true. It's very, very kind of you. Remind <laughs> me. Ask your best friend how he feels about that. I mean, all fun and games aside, you know, we would do our best to try to help anybody that's around. You have to be safe. You have to take precautions, but you have to try to help people because if if you don't, you're you know contributing to the downfall. And it's really funny that a lot of our like core group members here in St. Louis uh, live by the tenants of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Uh, and I know it sounds weird because, you know, we're all about zombies and yada, yada. But 
he always said to look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. You'll always find people helping. Look for the people that are trying to help other people. That is how you know that everything is still okay. And we try to be those helpers. Just don't ask them where the secret bunker is. Thank you to Mike Davidson and the Zombie Squad, and to Dr. Tom Inglesby for all of his wonderful advice. Here is hoping that you will never have to use any of it. But if you do, and if I come to your house looking a little green, please let me come inside. I promise I won't bite you. If you'd like to know what supplies you should have on hand in case of a pandemic or anything else, you can go online to emergency.cdc.gov. And if you'd like to go join the Zombie Squad, and they are always looking for new recruits, go to zombiehunters.org. And one more thing. Do you have a problem that needs solving? If so, send us a note at howtoatslate.com, and we might be able to help. That's slate.com. Also, if you like what you heard today, please, please give us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Merritt Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Special thanks to Asha Saluja. I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening, and keep the zombies out.